Neither the United States of America nor the world community of nations can tolerate deliberate deception. But I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their presidents are crook. I did not trade arms for hostages. Welcome to Revealed, putting public records in the public eye. I'm your host, Hannah Markley, and I'm here to tell the stories that we found out the hard way through public records and FOIA requests. This week, I want to do something a little different. Because I've gotten a lot of questions about the FBI's seizure of documents from former President Donald Trump's home in Florida, I'm going to do a little primer on the transparency issues that are at play in this weird situation. First, I'm going to talk about how a warrant is issued and the evidence that underlies that warrant and how it's treated in a transparency context. And then I'm going to talk about the actual crimes that the warrant claims the FBI was seeking to investigate and the interplay between those crimes and transparency issues. And that'll make more sense once I actually get into what the crimes or alleged crimes were. So let's start at the beginning and get some facts out so that we're all on the same page. Although I'm sure most of you have been following this pretty closely because if you listen to this podcast, you're probably a pretty big dork too. So the Department of Justice, basically federal prosecutors, got a warrant to search President Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago for evidence of specific crimes. The way they get this warrant is through submitting evidence in the form of affidavits to a federal judge. The judge reviews the evidence and decides whether or not there is probable cause to believe that evidence of the alleged crimes would be found at the place they want to search. This is how it happens every time someone seeks to get a warrant from a judge. And here, the DOJ and FBI sought evidence that Trump had violated three laws. First, they looked for evidence of violation of 18 U.S.C. 2071. That's concealment or removal of government records. Basically, that outlaws concealing, removing, or destroying a U.S. government document or record, and it has to be done willfully. Next, the DOJ was looking for evidence of willful retention of national defense information and More commonly, that accusation is known as an Espionage Act violation. The Espionage Act outlaws transmitting or losing data or documents that relates to national defense and that the person holding the information could reasonably foresee causing harm to the United States. And third and finally, the DOJ was looking for evidence of obstruction of a federal investigation. This is basically trying to find evidence that a record or document had been moved or destroyed with the purpose of preventing a federal investigation from going forward. So to prove that a person committed any one of these crimes, and that's what the affidavit they submitted would be about, would be showing Judge Reinhardt, a federal judge, federal magistrate in Florida, that they would likely find evidence that a person had violated one of these three laws by conducting the search. So what would they have to show Judge Reinhardt that they were looking for? They would need to show the government that the suspect had possession of these documents, right? All three of these accusations center around having or changing or destroying certain documents. 
And so that's what they were looking for. On August 8th, the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago to find evidence that President Trump had retained defense information and other government records in violation of one or all of these three laws. We have the warrant. That's a document that they actually provide to the accused when they conduct the search. But we don't have what they seized or the affidavit they presented to the judge to justify the search. These are the straightforward facts, and they're really just the background for today's episode. These facts raise two transparency points. First, the affidavit is still secret. Why? Where is it? How do we get to look at it? And second, the alleged crime involves state secrets. Now, I'm not planning to make judgment calls on who should do what or whether or not these um, accusations are justified. I just want to talk about what these two issues mean in the context of transparency and what the law is when you're discussing this with your friends or maybe your friends talk about cooler things than I do. But I want my listeners to understand the transparency issues at play. So starting with the affidavit, these are usually secret. It's not un unusual for an affidavit supporting a warrant to be hidden while an investigation is ongoing. They're usually not disclosed until trial preparation begins and the prosecution has its whole case wrapped up. Unlike the warrant, which is given to the suspect at the time of the search, the affidavit is not for public eyes until after the investigation is complete. And there are a few obvious reasons for this delay, like providing the suspect with too much opportunity to cover up their tracks or to pressure key witnesses. That's not to say that the affidavit can't be unsealed by motion to the judge earlier, but it's not the norm. The law instructs a judge deciding whether or not to disclose that, which the judge here is having to do, based on several factors. Those include things like whether access to the record is likely to promote public understanding of historically significant events and the likelihood that disclosure would prevent investigators from uncovering the truth. These factors might be more clear in a less politically charged hypothetical. Okay, so imagine that I'm not a dork recording a podcast in my closet, but a drug dealer. Imagine law enforcement got a warrant to search my home for evidence of drug dealing. Suppose that this warrant was based on testimony from my neighbor, that she had seen me weighing out dozens of bags of white powder in my kitchen. And let's say that the search uncovers some residue of cocaine in the kitchen, but no bags and no high volume amounts. Now, they want to keep the investigation going, right? There is some evidence to support what the neighbor said, but it isn't enough that they feel ready to go to trial on the evidence they have. Now, the hypothetical can go one of two ways from here. Let's say I do see the affidavit supporting the warrant, and I know that my neighbor's testimony was key to getting that warrant to search my house. What can I do with that information? At the very least, I can start closing the blinds, or I could move my operation somewhere else. Or there's an obvious risk to my neighbor, because remember, in this hypothetical, I might be a drug dealer, not a super nerdy podcasting lawyer. But if I don't see the affidavit, I don't know what to change to prevent the investigation from continuing. So it seems reasonable to not want someone to see an affidavit in that scenario. All right, let's try a different hypothetical. Imagine I am, in fact, a dorky podcaster who's really scared of drugs. 
but like a really successful podcaster, the kind that makes the public pay attention. Imagine I recently did an episode uncovering corruption at the police department through public records requests and that my neighbor is the president of the local police union. Imagine that same search takes place with the same results. Now the public interest in the affidavit supporting the warrant suddenly looks much higher. So you can see through these hypotheticals that this is a really difficult case-by-case -case issue and one that judges take very seriously. At least I think they do. I really hope they do. So in the case of the search of Mar-a-Lago, the press has asked the court to unseal the warrant affidavit because doing so would give the public necessary information to evaluate the legitimacy of the accusations and search criteria. On the other side, the DOJ has said that unsealing the warrant would threaten witnesses who led to the documents with reprisals, reprisals ranging from uncomfortable conversations with colleagues all the way up to threats of violence. The DOJ also points out that the crimes being investigated involve the handling of defense and security documents, so even more of the affidavit than usual would contain information that's not for public consumption. As you might expect, I side with disclosure. I think that the documents should be public. And it seems that Judge Reinhardt is leaning that way as well. He has ordered the DOJ to supply a redacted version of the warrant. That is a copy of the document where they have blacked out the information that is just too harmful to disclose. I'm guessing that would include things like the names of witnesses or content of documents. And as of this recording, we don't really know what else is going to happen, but you can probably bet that I'm following pretty closely. Now onto the second issue, state secrets. I think the best way to talk about this state secrets issue and the transparency issues related to what the government is allowed to not tell us is to look closely at what each of the three laws included in the warrant forbid. So first, the concealment or removal of government records. This one has a fairly simple statute, and if you're interested, I really recommend just taking a glance at 18 U.S.C. 2071. It outlaws willfully and unlawfully concealing, removing, or destroying a U.S. government document. This law has been on the books since the 1800s and is intended to preserve government records for future use, particularly as evidence of how public officials performed. Simple as that. In the 1880s, some people stole paper from a barn for starting a fire, only to find out later that they had actually stolen records of a public office. The barn owner tried to ding them under this federal law, but thankfully a good judge said that that was ridiculous because the point of the law was to stop people from hiding things from the public or from law enforcement. So if that wasn't what the thieves intended, they hadn't willfully, as the statute requires, destroyed the documents. This statute also popped up in the Iran-Contra investigation because some people believed that a National Security Council memo had been altered to prevent the investigation into that fiasco. These memos were considered records of government because they literally recorded the thoughts of government actors, and modifying them after the fact would have violated this law. So that means that we are protected through transparency by requiring that the records of the government activity are there for us to request. It's not good enough to be able to ask for information if the people who want to hide it could just destroy it 
So that's what this law is supposed to prevent. Okay, second, we have the Espionage Act. This one is a really tough one, and it is difficult because it's trying to thread a needle between making sure that military interests are protected on one side, or military and defense interests, but also making sure that American speech interests and free speech rights are protected. After all, when you think about it, espionage, as cool and sneaky as it sounds, is really just getting information and sharing it, talking about it. It's speech. And in an attempt to strike the balance between preventing espionage but allowing speech, the act outlaws obtaining information related to national defense and either unlawfully transmitting or losing that data, and also having to reasonably foresee that the information contained could cause harm to the United States if it fell into the wrong hands. This applies whenever a person has military information, whether that's through their work or because they grabbed the wrong backpack or because they broke into a secure location. It really doesn't matter. What matters is how you handle the information after it comes into your possession, whether you transmit it to a foreign government or just lose it. There are six different subsections that define more nuanced ways to violate this law, and I don't want to get into each of them, mostly because the warrant doesn't specify which one the DOJ was thinking about when it submitted the application for the warrant. And that's something that I think that having the affidavit might clarify. It's something that I definitely want to know. and. I think that adds to the argument that disclosing the affidavit would be in the public interest. Throughout history, there are examples of the Espionage Act, ranging from classic spy novel activities to literally a guy setting down a backpack at his friend's desk and forgetting about it. So it's really hard to say what we're dealing with in this particular case. Third and finally, the obstruction of a federal investigation charge. That's 18 U.S.C. 1519. This is basically just like the first one, destruction or concealment of records, but with the added twist of an intent to impede or obstruct or influence a federal investigation. It's also a short statute, so you should check it out if you're interested. I also want to point out that none of these laws rely on the documents being classified. There has been some discussion about President Trump's claim that he had a standing order declassifying anything he removed from the premises of the White House. This is a weird claim to make in defense to the search because none of the laws that the warrant mentions address classified versus unclassified documents. In fact, several Espionage Act defendants have made and lost the argument that since the records they took weren't classified, they hadn't committed espionage. So it doesn't really make sense as a defense. The other odd thing is that declassifying a document is an activity that takes several steps. The Congressional Research Service just put out a document on declassification of items of public interest that explains the process. But I do want to be clear that the president does have the authority to declassify any document that was originally classified by the executive branch. Essentially, whoever classified a document can unclassify it, and so can their boss, and their boss, and their boss. And in the executive branch, that chain eventually ends with the president. So any document that was classified by an executive branch agency or department, he could unclassify by himself. Okay, so there you've got it. 
The three statutes that are at issue here are about protecting records from destruction or loss and keeping them from falling into the wrong hands. These are very difficult statutes and kind of bring into play an issue that I don't talk about a lot on the show, and that is the balance between transparency and legitimate government interest. I'm always going to be the person that says you should err on the side of disclosure because I believe that trusting the American people to make good decisions is kind of central to a democratic republic. But I also understand that there are cases where that's not the right call. And these statutes kind of are at the heart of that tension between those two ideals. So we don't really have answers, but hopefully this rundown of transparency issues helps you ask the right questions as you consume news in the coming days about the search at Mar-a-Lago and the documents that were uh, retrieved in that search. It's a sticky situation and it's politically fraught. And frankly, that's not an area that I like to live, but I really wanted to make sure that the transparency issues didn't get lost in all of the other things that are going on now. And I hope that y'all enjoyed this episode. And if this is a type of content that you particularly enjoyed or particularly hated, please let me know. Um, I would love to know what y'all like. So hope to hear from you soon and stay curious.